Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, maybe you've got one of your new Bibles already this morning, then please do turn back uh, to Zephaniah chapter 3 as we look at this passage this morning. Now, I'm really grateful to Stephen Elliott Lockhart and David Clark and Shona Lidbury uh, for conducting worship a few weeks ago, uh, and obviously to Ross Mitchell uh, for doing the service uh, for the last two Sundays uh, whilst I have been off. A big thank you uh, to them. Now, this morning we return back to our series thinking about uh, the major themes in the Minor Prophets. And we have four books left to go. We've got Zephaniah today, uh, then we've got Haggai, and that isn't the plural of Haggis, uh, that's next week. We have got Zechariah, uh, and then we've got the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi. Now, just a reminder why we're doing this series in the Minor Prophets. Well, we believe, as a church, that the Bible in all its parts is God's Word, and that it's able to speak to us through the centuries, and that it's able to speak to us even in 2023. Now, the Minor Prophets might be obscure in many ways, but they have major themes and important messages to teach us. Now, obviously, looking at only one of the books every week It means that we can only consider the major themes, but hopefully it's whetted your appetite to have have a proper read of these prophecies that appear at the end of the Old Testament. And to ask yourself, well, why are they there? What are they, they all about? Now, even though the minor prophets spoke into different situations and different time periods, over these weeks looking at them, Perhaps we have realized that some of the themes in the Minor Prophets are similar. John Calvin, the great reformer and in many ways the founding father of the Presbyterian Church, said famously that there are only two types of knowledge. That there is knowledge of God and there is knowledge of ourselves. And in looking at the Minor Prophets, we've seen to some extent that this is true. Because we've seen in the Minor Prophets that there is a lot about God's character. And God's character which is unchanging. What have we seen? We've seen God's holiness. We've seen how God judges sin because he is so holy that he cannot bear sin in his sight. And yet we've also seen his yearning heart. Because he longs for sinners to come back to him. And we've also seen how God often relents, doesn't he? He withholds his hand of judgment. Why does he do that? Out of love. Because God is a loving God. And we've hopefully also seen that the the minor prophets, often there's a lot about judgment and can be quite hard going. But often towards the end, there's always a note of hope. Have we noticed this in the Minor Prophets? I hope we have. There's a hopeful note that when people turn back to God in repentance and faith, that all will be well. Consider Habakkuk. We looked at Habakkuk the last time we were in the Minor Prophets. What does it finish with? 
Well, it says at the end of Habakkuk, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vine, and it's all quite depressing and difficult. What does Habakkuk say? Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God in the God of my salvation. Now, why can Habakkuk say that? Because when we trust in the Lord, then there is never complete despair. And if that's the only message that we get out of the minor prophets, that's a really important message, isn't it? That when we trust in the Lord, there is never complete despair. That he's always there underpinning us. Even when we're thrown over the side of the boat like Jonah was, there's the whale coming in to suck him up. There's never complete despair. Yes, things might not be easy all the time. But we have that security, that underpinning, that even when the worst happens, that God is there, that he cares, and that eventually we will be brought home to be with him forever. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. Now, as we learn about God and his character, what else did John Calvin say? Well, he said there's two types of knowledge. There's also knowledge of ourselves as well as knowledge of God. And we've also learned in these books something about human nature, haven't we? We've seen how how people, even God's chosen people, turn away from God so easily into idolatry and into sin. And we see the, the continued faithlessness of God's people, even in the light of God's faithfulness. And we see the requirement for repentance and faith. And we do see the joy of when there is repentance and faith. So we see God's character in the minor prophets, but we also see a reflection for ourselves as to what often we can be like. Now, I'm not saying to you this morning that you might go home, open up your house and get a shrine out to Baal or the Asherah pole up or whatever it might be. But we all have little idols in our lives, don't we? When we think about it. And how fickle we can often be as humanity. But we also must see when there's repentance and faith, then there's also joy. And we'll come back to that later today. Now today, we come to think about uh, the book of Zephaniah. It's a short book. You can go home today, you can read it all. It's only three chapters. And we see that the Lord gives this message to, to Zephaniah. When Josiah was king of Judah. And as we saw in the the video, Josiah was a a reforming king. He was the one who burnt down the Asherah poles. The one who rediscovered the book of the law. And who just tried to, to restore temple worship to Israel. He was a good king. But it seems that this is, this prophecy, Zephaniah, takes place before these reforms or before these reforms have taken effect and as we saw in the overview video the Lord says that there is coming judgment against Judah and Jerusalem because of their idol worship and the Lord says that there will be a day when his anger is poured out we see that in verse 15 in chapter 1 we then see at the beginning of chapter 2 that the Lord calls for repentance for those in Jerusalem and Judah. 
before he then speaks of the judgment he will bring on the Philistines and against Moab and against Ammon and against Ethiopia and Assyria. Assyria, of course, the place where Nineveh is uh, that we've come across in the other minor prophets in Jonah and Nahum in particular. And then finally, we reach chapter 3, which Mary read for us this morning. And what we read here for Jerusalem is actually quite devastating. Because the imagery that we have here is of a city that's totally in rebellion. It's a city, we're told, of violence and crime. It's a city which refuses all correction. Where the leaders and priests are unjust. Where the prophets are liars. And where the priests don't follow God's instructions. It's devastating stuff. Jerusalem is completely in rebellion. But there's also something that's quite stunning. Because despite the rebellion and the sin in Jerusalem, what do we see in verse 5 of chapter 3? The Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. That's the contrast. Even though the the people have rejected the Lord, that the Lord is still there. And that he does no wrong in in contrast to Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem are in complete rebellion. And yet the Lord is still there. He's unchanging. He's still holy. And in our day, when we see injustice in our world and in our nation. It's good for us to remember that the Lord is faithful, that he is unchanging, that he's always just, he's always good, and he never fails. And maybe you just need a reminder today, in your own situation, of God's character. That despite our own failings, and there's none of us here today that is perfect, And despite the the failings of others, and despite our sin, and the sin in the world, that God is not like us. That's actually a real encouragement, isn't it? I know, for example, I am so fickle. I know, for example, and you can use an example of, of your diet, can't you? You know what you're meant to eat to be a healthy person. That's true, isn't it? You know you're meant to eat five fruit and veg a day. You know that you're meant to eat your greens. But do we do it? Quite often not. Why is that? Because the donuts are just too tempting. It's easy to eat in an unhealthy way. We're so fickle in our lives. But God is unchanging. He's faithful. He's true. He's trustworthy. We then have this second part of chapter 3 from verse 6 to 8. Where the Lord speaks about his judgment. And the fact that even in spite of judgment that he's brought. That some nations have not listened to him. That they continue in their evil deeds. But we also saw and we saw in the video. That God's judgment is for the purpose not of destroying the Israelites. But of purifying them. We see this in verses 9 to 13. Because despite the rebellion and sin which has brought about God's judgment upon all the earth, the purpose is purifying. 
So that God's people, not just from Jerusalem, and not just from Judah, but from all over the earth, can worship God together. As it said in the video, this is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to bless the nations. And so we see in verse 12 that those who are left will be the lowly and humble. They'll be the, be the remnant. Those who are left are those who repent before the Lord and who in the light of his faithfulness to them are faithful to him. Now after that time of purification has come, we see in verse 15 that the Lord removes his hand of judgment. That the armies of the enemies of God's people will be dispersed and their troubles will be over and they'll never again fear disaster. Now obviously this is written to a certain people at a certain time. And it's speaking about how the people of Israel will be exiled. They will end up in Babylon. And that this is judgment upon them. But how this judgment will be about refining them and purifying them. And that the remnant, those who truly belong to the Lord, well, there will come a day when they will rejoice in the Lord once more. And of course, we are a people who are living in 2023. We are people who live after the coming of a Savior. Who live after the coming of Jesus. Now, of course... Sin still remains in our world. We don't have to look too far to see that that is the case. And God will surely bring judgment. We know that from the New Testament, don't we? That at the end of time, that everyone will be judged for what they've done in the body. But at the end of time, those who trust in Jesus, they can trust that all will be well. That they don't need to be afraid. You see, sometimes we might think that God is against us. That we can do nothing right. And sometimes we might get that impression from looking at the minor prophets. Because what do we see? We see the people in rebellion and sin. And we see God. God, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. It's constantly coming. And sometimes in our own lives, we might think, well, God is against us. That we can do nothing right. I wonder if you remember being at school and maybe there was one subject or or one teacher and no matter what you did, you just couldn't do anything right. Was that your experience at school? Or maybe you've known that experience in the workplace where it just seems you can can never do, do anything right. You try your best, you really try it. But it just seems those who are, you know, your boss, whoever, they're just looking out. They're just nitpicking over everything you do. Sometimes we might get the impression that God is like that. But God isn't like that. You see, we've had quite a bit about how God will bring judgment in the minor prophets. We've had a lot about the sinfulness of Israel and the surrounding nations, despite the Lord's faithfulness. But what I want us to realize this morning is that if you are a child of God, if you believe and trust in Jesus, that God is for you. 
He's for you. He really cares for you. He truly loves you. And he wants us to come to him. And actually, when we think about it, we've consistently seen this in the minor prophets. That the hope is there for us if only we believe. You see, this morning, Zephaniah might not be a terribly familiar book for us, even among the minor prophets. But it does have one very memorable verse. And that's chapter 3, verse 17. Because here it says this. The Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now is that not a delightful verse? You might have come in a mood to church this morning because where's the summer? It's windy. It's miserable. Maybe things are just not going right in your life. But that's a delightful verse because it tells us something of the Father's heart. Something of the depth of God's love for us. You see, God is not dead. He is alive. And He's living amongst us. He's a mighty Savior. And we know that because He sent His Son, Jesus. And He delights in you with gladness. You see, He didn't just create you and think, it's okay, it'll do. You know, when you're ever doing your DIY, I'm terrible at DIY. Anna will tell you. Okay? Have you ever had that experience when you put up a shelf and it's not quite level, but it'll do? Or you've done some other kind of DIY and it's not great, not quite perfect, but it'll do. God doesn't look at you and think, oh, they'll do. God looks at you And he delights in you. And he calms all your fears with his love. And who doesn't have fears in their life? But most astonishing of all, he rejoices over you with joyful songs. You see, we come on a Sunday, don't we? And we lift our voices together, we sing the praises of God, and it's right that we do. But what's the picture here? This is a wonderful picture. It's a picture of God singing over his people. It's a picture of God singing over you. You see, God delights in his people. He rejoices in us, and he sings. And when do you sing? You sing when you're joyful, don't you? It's an amazing picture that God sings. Many of you here this morning will have had the experience of of holding a baby in their arms. Your own child maybe, or, or grandchild, or a niece, or a nephew. And when the baby's upset, because babies do get upset, don't they? What do you do? You bring them in. And you tend to sing. Even if you're not a great singer, you tend to sing, don't you? If you're trying to get them to sleep, you you soothe them by, by singing. 
God sings over us. He rejoices in us. He doesn't regret that he made us. And he simply wants us to come to him and be the child that we are called to be. You see, in today's world and in today's society, people are scrambling to find their worth. They try to find it in their work or to be affirmed by how many people follow them on Instagram or are their friends on Facebook. They try to find their worth in their achievements. But for the Christian, our worth is not in ourselves. Our worth is in our God and what he sees in us. And when we trust in him, we know that he delights in us. He rejoices over us, that he sings over us, and he loves us. So we have nothing to fear. Indeed, he calms every fear. Now maybe as you come to worship today, you are struggling in your life. Maybe you just feel a bit rubbish. Or life isn't great or turning out the way that you thought. Well, faith isn't primarily about self-help or making us feel better. But the fact is, if God is there, and if this is who God is, then our value is found in him. And when you have God in your life, you have security. You have hope. You have the promise of life and joy everlasting. And maybe you just need to hear that today. That he rejoices over you with joyful songs. Do you believe that as you come to worship today? That when you are his child, he sings over you. He rejoices in you. You see, in these minor prophets, what have we seen? Well, we've seen these themes, haven't we? Justice and love, justice and mercy. We are people who live post the crucifixion. What do we see at the cross? Well, we see God's love, don't we? We also see God's justice. We see Jesus paying the price for our sin. But we also see how God has given us Jesus, the Savior that we need that we might know forgiveness and that we might know newness of life. So if you doubt today that God loves you, look at the cross. See what Jesus did for you there. So I encourage you today, if you're struggling in your life, if things are not turning out as you hoped they would be, let's remember that God's love underpins us. And let's trust that God is the one who rejoices in you and over you with joyful songs. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is much in this book that we could learn of today. We see, Lord God, your judgment and how your judgment is for purification and to draw people to yourselves and not just those from Judah and Jerusalem, but from all over the earth. And we thank you, Lord God, that this has always been your eternal plan, to draw people to yourself from all over the earth, no matter who they are, no matter what their background might be.
because you want to show love and compassion and grace. We thank you, Lord God, that when we trust in the Lord Jesus, then we are your children. And we thank you that you are for us. That you're not a God who is pointing the finger, constantly nitpicking. But you're a God who delights in his children. That you rejoice in us. And you sing songs over us. And Father, I pray today for anyone here who just feels undervalued. Anyone here today who just feels that life is a bit rubbish. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the courage not to find our worth in ourselves and in our achievements, but to find our worth in you and to what you think about us. Because we recognize that when we trust in you, then all will be well, that your love underpins us and you calm all our fears. So Lord God, speak to us. Through your word this day we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.